This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Monday, August the 22nd, 2022. Benefer's wedding is about hope over experience. The Tories pretend they're forever too. The best bit of every wedding is when the new couple walk back down the aisle together, shackled for life. Whatever our lives will bring, cancer, childbirth, poverty, a lottery win, disability, joy, misery, we'll do it together, it says to the world. It's charmingly optimistic, especially as all those things increase your chances of divorce, destitution and early death. Makes me cry every time. All marriages are a case of hope triumphing over expectation, or at least statistics. But taking that to the nth degree this week are Hollywood supercouple Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, who have fired hope into the atmosphere and are expecting something other than tiny bits of ouchy burned banknotes to rain down on them. Between them, they've had seven weddings and five marriages. He's been to rehab three times and reportedly cheats on his women with the same regularity and enthusiasm as Boris Johnson. She, meanwhile, has a record of picking wrong'uns, marrying them and then doing it all over again with such a rapid rebound that the lawyer she asked to do her prenups must feel like a rubber band. She married Mark Antony just five months after splitting with Affleck the first time. With that score sheet, either of these two marrying again would require such a level of blind faith in one's own abilities that they could easily run for Prime Minister of the United Kingdom at the start of an economic crisis that would collapse any government inside three months. Marrying each other, on the other hand, is, well, let's call it courageous. Perhaps that's why they decided to do it twice, as though two ceremonies would reinforce the cement holding their marriage together. If only it wasn't cement made from glitter in the sands of time inside an hourglass of crushing inevitability. Twenty years ago, these two were engaged. But she gets engaged to everyone, so that's not saying much. They broke up, they said at the time, because of excessive media pressure. And that hasn't changed. The US paps chased them from penthouse to sprawling estate. The Euro paps pursued them on honeymoon. And here I am, one of a thousand columnists, deciding whether or not two strangers have any hope of this blind idealism ever actually working. Perhaps it was really his drinking or her rose-tinted romance goggles or something else that broke them up. But have they changed? You can go to rehab, become teetotal, but you're an alcoholic all your life. He boinked the last nanny, and in those circumstances, only a very dim wife would fail to worry about the next one, or the maid, or the pool boy. Their characters, their problems, heck, even their foreheads, have not changed one iota in 20 years. So why are they doing now what they didn't do when they were younger and more inclined to mad acts of ill-planned faith in ill-planned faith in someone whose flaws they had yet to see naked. In the years since their first split, they both married other people and became parents. She got bigger, richer, but no better at acting. And his career curdled, matured a little, got drunk and sobered up. Neither is after the other's money, but he's had too much disgrace to be a sex symbol and she's too needy to play anything but B-movie romances. Yet they retain the ocean-going amounts of optimism it takes to marry someone you didn't want to when you were more inclined to do such things. Perhaps it's something to do with the fact that for most of their adult lives, they've been paid and trained to pretend, and it now comes as second nature. A lot of any successful marriage, after all, is a pretense. That you fancy them more than that one-off strictly. That their arse has not expanded a single inch. That you definitely heard whatever it was that you didn't. A cynic might say that she's so desperate she'd marry anyone. 
and he's equally desperate not to look like a seedy old man one day very soon. A romantic might say they know each other's failures better than most, and this will make it more likely to succeed. But that's like saying you voted for Boris Johnson because his towering,ly obvious moral failures would make him more likely to avoid going wrong as PM. The truth is probably more practical, and it's something that will ring true for all of us in the horrid winter to come, with barristers on permanent strike, picketing at the ports and train stations, and a looming economic catastrophe in energy and the cost of living, which will drive half the nation's businesses and families to the wall and street. And it is this. It is much easier to be optimistic when you have £400,000 to spend on an unnecessary three-day party at one of your £6 million homes to celebrate the complete lack of realism you share with just one other person on the planet. It's quite sweet, really, like watching two toddlers at play in a sandpit. The only question now is which hopelessly doomed adventure will end first, Benefer's marriage or Liz Truss's government? This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Friday, August the 26th, 2022. It contains a swear. A gross dereliction of duty by a murderously incompetent government. When the news broke this morning that the cost of energy was going up another 80% and might even hit £6,616 next year, I went round the house switching off everything I could. The same probably happened in millions of other homes, richer or poorer, pensioner or parent. In the homes of every single member of the government, meanwhile, a politician was switching off their phone, ignoring their emails and refusing to even expel their customary wind onto the nation's airwaves to explain why it was happening and what their plan was for dealing with it. And whatever Boris Johnson was doing this morning you can be damn sure he wasn't giving a moment's thought to how much money we'll be spuffing up the wall over winter just to stay warm. We won't know anything about what he was up to without paying 30 quid for a copy of his memoirs and then a 30 quid copy of Michael Gove's memoirs to find out which bits were lies. And all we'd discover, if we had £60 to waste on the bleeding obvious, is that the past six years have been one long, sprawling falsehood from a man whose skills were imaginary, whose premiership was an egotistical fancy, and whose legacy will boil down to being the most expensive and risible toilet paper on earth. These prices, he's claimed, are the price of freedom. They're not. They're the price of 12 years of rule by people who feathered or in his case, wallpapered in actual gold, their own nests while stripping ours bare. While wasting billions reorganising, destroying, then unreorganising the NHS, by doing nothing to make social care the integrated public service it needs to be, by trashing the standards and budgets of every school that wasn't private, watching floods devastate villages below the grouse moors they protected, incinerating and fracking while cutting subsidies for the domestic solar panels, which would have done us and every public building and organisation all quite nicely this year, thank you very much, because they can't agree whether the climate change that's causing so many of our problems is as real as the unicorns of Brexit. As businesses sink under five-figure increases in their bills, they've delivered a 10% drop in the standard universal credit payment. 
They've made it harder for disabled people to work, for abuse victims to leave their abuser, for rape victims to win justice, for police to grab gangs or knives or gangsters. They've made it more difficult to get in an ambulance, near impossible to be admitted to hospital in less than a day. They've sent nurses and doctors and specialists fleeing from the NHS in tears. They've scrapped nursing and pharmacy bursaries and then asked nurses and pharmacists to do more. They've raised taxes and wasted the money it gained. They've cut taxes and taken it from us somewhere else. They've blamed Putin and the French and China and Covid and Remainers and the BBC and poor bloody Emily Maitlis for having the gumption to ask whether, in fact, the one common denominator in all this chaos and failure are the Tories who have stood in the middle of it all like a toddler covered in shite and saying Santa did it. Amid all this, they're not wrangling with the issues, finding short-term fixes while working on lasting solutions. They're not wondering whether this will work or that will be better and how Brenda from Bristol will survive the winter if it doesn't. They're wrangling with which idiot to put in charge next, finding short-term headlines and working on creating lasting fear about boat migrants that have no substantiation. They're wondering what would work for the dimmest mind at the Daily Whale and how Brenda from Bristol will vote if she makes it. They've spent so long talking about how they're not talking down Britain or success that now they cannot criticise the CEOs of water companies and energy suppliers making so much money they can spend some of it on self-serving political memoirs. They cannot speak honestly about public services because to do so would be to admit that if the government doesn't change, there'll be none left. They cannot talk about their plans to tackle it because Liz Truss is focused on choosing the right earrings for when she walks into number 10 so it looks like she cares. And Rishi Sunak is going to be on the first plane to San Francisco to ask for his green card back. Chancellor for now, Nadim Zahawi, is thinking fondly of the days when we paid to heat his stables. And Chancellor for a bit, Kwasi Kwarteng, is polishing his first black man credentials because that'll make a world of difference to all the little black boys growing up in a country where the best way for them to earn money is with a gun. So of course they're not on the airwaves when the public are terrified and angry. They're not explaining themselves in the same way they're not unplugging their charges because that's 50p they'll never see again. The people who came to power on Boris Johnson's coattails have never worried about 50p and they never will, no matter how bad it gets for us. The first duty of a government is to know that it's a duty. It's not a privilege like going to a good school, nor a right or a jape or a stepping stone. It's a service for others, which is why even when the news is bad, you get off your arse and explain what you're doing about it. Hiding from that is going absent without leave while in the service of your country. Destroying the services, economy and optimism of the country who took over the running of is a uniquely Tory dereliction of duty. And regardless of party, it is grossly negligent at best and a malignant cancer upon the body politic at its worst, which is where we are. This winter, we will have to look after ourselves. Chop wood for gran check in on neighbours, make soup from Lidl's wonky veg and turn off whatever we can. And the thing we really don't need and which is costing us billions of pounds and maybe a million shortened lives is a government of murderously incompetent, vainglorious dodos incapable of realising that the job of caring about, supporting and encouraging 67 million people is too important to be done by the likes of them. The source of their power is us, 
and we're about to have blackouts. Run the country? You might as well ask the cat. <laughs>